Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Eric Corrine, who covers the Raptors for The Athletic. He's a fantastic writer and a really good, uh, great Twitter follow. So uh, thanks so much for coming on, Eric, and how's it going? All right. Uh, we'll see how how long I'm still. Are we still joking about Twitter's uh, existence? Like, uh, we'll see I'm... how long I'm still a great Twitter follower. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no. I, maybe we go to Mastodon or something like uh, that. We're, we're powering through. Uh, yeah. The, the, Twitter wants what tw- or Twitter gets what Twitter wants. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but it hasn't uh, it hasn't uh, folded in on itself yet. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll give it a little bit of time. Uh, I'll at least by the time we uh, record, uh, Twitter should still be in a piece uh, together. <laughs> so so hopefully uh, that's the case, or or maybe not. Hopefully, anyways. Um, thanks so much for coming on, and Eric. And I just wanted to ask. A little bit about your career and when did you first think you might want to pursue a career in sports journalism and writing um well i, I probably owe it mostly to my brother uh mike he's five years older than me and when he was 16 he got a uh a co-op uh so i, I don't know if everybody not in ontario or, or even in ontario who went through the high school system but didn't take co-op as a class in i believe grade 11 uh it, it allows you for like two classes uh the equivalent of two classes in in your in grade 11 in high school to uh get like a work experience and that counts as a credit or two credits and uh he went to the Toronto Sun sports department and uh really got into it and gained a foothold there and uh he was there in in some form or another for a while uh, and anyway, uh, fast forward, well, he's five years older than me. Uh, so fast forward like about seven years when I'm trying to figure out what I want to do going into university. And and, and all I really knew was, I, I mean, I was decent at writing. I didn't want to be in school for eight years. Uh, I liked sports. Uh, so let's try journalism and see what comes of that. Uh, so I went to the now named Toronto metropolitan university and uh i mean we can go on from there but that that was sort of the inkling it wasn't so much a a call to like uh i need to do this this is my life's calling as like i don't want to have to get a master's and a phd like not that i was bad at school but you know it wasn't really my jam if that makes sense yeah yeah and what was it like to kind of have a brother who had done kind of gone up in the industry to kind of give you tips and advice and was he very helpful in in you in the industry um i i mean my first job my first real job uh in i guess my first two jobs actually uh the the first thing i sort of did that was you know sports journalism adjacent certainly not sports journalism was i was the uh public address announcer for york university Mm -hmm. uh sports uh and he knew the the sports information director there so they were looking for somebody and that was good experience that was totally uh you know a hundred percent a field from my actual personality like uh, people who knew me could imagine me like trying to be herbie coon who's the raptor's public address announcer they'd probably laugh at the thought i'm i'm pretty uh uh introverted and 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 quieter on on that end of the spectrum but you know it was fun and and got got me a chance to explore 
a different side of my personality. And I probably don't get that with him. And then my first job uh, in sports journalism proper was as a uh, editorial assistant at the Canadian Press Sports Department. Uh, and what I was doing was something called Agate, uh, which for those who don't know is like, if you can picture the back page of a sports section in a newspaper, first of all, congratulations on being 40 years old or older. Uh, second of all, it's basically the standings and the results and, and everything from all these different leagues. Somebody has to format all of that uh, and take calls from like, you know, the QMJHL uh, representative and the, you know, the Nova Scotia or the Atlantic. Uh, I can't even remember what uh, this is bad, uh, what the, the junior hockey league in the Atlantic provinces is called. Uh, I do think there was a team called the Churro Bearcats. Um, but, uh, anyway, the guy for doing that formatting was me and, uh, that job was just basically posted on, uh, the job board at the, in the student lounge of the, of, uh, what was, I think still known as the Rogers communication center, uh, at, uh, Toronto, <laughs> it's weird to keep on saying the Toronto Metropolitan University. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I applied and as the boss told me, like, you know, they don't have a lot of specific things they're looking for there, but they saw my name, my last name, and mm. that stood out. So it's not like he got me that job, but I guess my last name helped me get into the at least the interview room for that job. So uh, and then yeah, when I had when as my career grew, like I could certainly bounce ideas off him. He's uh, uh, it, it was definitely a lot more helpful than it was um, than it was a hindrance for sure. Uh, and now he gets, I don't know if it's, a, if it's jokingly mad or actually mad, uh, because he's, uh, he's now, uh, an editor at Sportsnet, uh, and he's being asked by younger people, oh, are you related to Eric Corrine? And, uh, you know, that was sort of my first five years in the business. And, and now he gets that and he's like, I, you know, he, he, he plays the crusty older brother. Well, let's just say. And I know that like after journalism school for you, you went to the National Post. Um, how was that like and how did you get that job? Um, so it was actually after third year in okay. journalism school that I went there. Uh, and this is going to be hard to believe, but it was at a time where a they had they had gotten rid of their um, subscription, I guess, to Canadian press. And at the same time, they were expanding their physical sports section. So this is 2006, uh, uh, something that would never happen now uh, in, in terms of expanding a physical product. Um, and they needed somebody on the, um, basically on the editing desk to do, to write up sort of roundup. So like what happened in the American East uh, last, American League East last night, or what happened in a playoff game? And they, they weren't like, game stories or anything but it's stuff that you'd usually be able to get from a wire service that they no longer um subscribe to so i applied that got it um probably you know my certainly at that point my experience was above what a, a lot of students would have had um and that's how i got my foot into the door i did a uh a full internship there uh and uh, then eventually the Raptors job, uh, the NBA job, I should say, became open. The first time it, it came open is because uh, a journalist named Aaron Weary um, left. He is uh, now a politics writer 
I want to say at CBC, he was at McLean's for a long time. And so I applied for that job, uh, didn't get it. Uh, Matthew Sakaris, uh, who I think was working in Ottawa at the time, got it. Uh, and that was disappointing. And I, uh, he, and anyway, Matthew quickly left for the Globe. Uh, a job came open at the Globe. He took it. And uh, I guess they wanted somebody who wasn't so much of a flight risk. <laughs> uh, uh, aim low, kids. Um, so, uh, yeah, that that's vitally how I got, you know, people often ask me, like, oh, did you always want to do basketball? And, like, the answer is yes. Like, that is my preferred sport. That was my mm-hmm. favorite sport at the time. But the fact that that's the job came open, that came open not once but twice within, like, a eight-month span, uh was pretty awesome uh a funny story about that is uh the so if i would have gotten that job i would have gone the first time i would have gone to training camp that year which was in uh italy and uh, i think there was a stop in spain uh but i did it and uh, the next two years training camp was in ottawa so oh, um cool. not, not not to disparage ottawa but no um, that's, that's it, yeah it that's wasn't quite, from, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it wasn't quite the, the <laughs> yeah i spent some good times at carleton university yeah uh but it, it was not quite the uh the adventure that i might have had otherwise and i guess i before we get into you writing out the athletic i guess i'm just kind of curious to like what your process has been over like the past 10 15 years being a raptors writer like how do you write stories? How do you get information? What's your process for writing? Um, it's funny because I, I was just, they're doing some, you know, workshops at The Athletic right now. And I just I, I just took one. Uh, it was basically four ways to become a, a better writer. I, I don't think I can give too many details because that'd be proprietary information. Uh, I, I guess a lesson there is never stop trying to learn. That that's a good thing. Um, well, we'll see. You can judge by my next few articles. Um, but um, they were asking, like, what's your process? Do you have an idea? Uh, like when you put down word one, like where you're going? Do you have an idea before you put down word one? And I'm not sure I can synthesize it. Like, and I can explain it really well. There are times, and like, I feel like my best pieces are inevitably like, I wait, and this sounds fake, I, I realize, but like, I I wake up, it's like 6 a.m. This is not normally when I wake up, to be clear. And like, an idea comes to me, and I can like almost put paragraph on top of paragraph in my head. And like, that's as close to, journalism being magic that i or or writing i should say being magic that i can uh describe and those always end up being the pieces that are best responded to um and that if i'm lucky happens twice a year um so the the rest of it is you know it depends like i've always not, not always but i usually have one or two longer pieces that i'm working on like you know slowly and and that's more of like i need to do another interview i need to do another interview and uh like occasionally on those pieces i'll write down like a graph or uh or a key theme that i want to hit on just so i don't forget it later and put it in like the document um but 
usually it's just I, I collect quotes, organize quotes into like the themes that I'm going to hit on and then start writing. For the more day-to-day -day stuff, I think, you know, it'd be, yeah, I'm pretty much making it up as I go along. Like I, I have a list of ideas and, mm -hmm. you know, that I, that I know I want to get to at some point. And sometimes a certain game will be a good window into that. Uh, you know, a lot of the times I try to open with a scene, whether it's on the court or in the locker room. Um, sometimes I, you know, during the middle of a game, if there's a play that stands out, like I'm, I'll make sure I note it and then get mm -hmm. back to it later. But to say there's any one way I write, uh, I, I mean, the most common way is top to bottom. But um, but uh, uh, certainly, I don't think I can say I write every article like this. I, I think the key is just, you know, write down your ideas, keep a list, make sure you know, you don't forget things. If you have a chance to talk to somebody for more than three minutes at a time before you talk to them, look at that list and see if like that person can help with any other ideas. Uh, it's, it, I know this sounds very jumbled, but this, this is the process, I guess. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's great. I, I guess I just wanted to, to move on to a little bit about what it's been like for you to, to work at the athletic and, and what was it like to cover that 2019 Raptors championship team? Um, well, uh, I mean, it's not that different working at the athletic compared to working at the post. Um, I feel sometimes it ends up like sounding like I was really, or, or people think I was like really restrained at the post. And I think like maybe sometimes you can argue I was by like the physical format, but by the end of my time at the post, we were like definitely you know, write what you need to write for to make it the best version, and then we'll find a way to fit it in the paper. That, that was generally what was happening at the time. So um, saying that, at The Athletic, I can definitely mess around with format a lot more. Uh, I can include links. Um, you know, I something you'll see in almost every one of my game stories is a link to nba.com, like the play I'm talking about, just so I don't have to describe it in like, mm -hmm. you know, four sentences becomes one sentence, uh, yeah. which is, uh, which saves the readers a lot of energy, hopefully, and, and me a lot, of, a lot of energy, uh, <laughs> and, and a lot of, uh, digital space, uh, it's been really good, like my, I've had a few different editors and, uh, it, it's been, you know, just usually providing me support, but not, you know, keeping me in any one lane. Uh, mm -hmm. Specifically, when I was working with Blake Murphy, that was like yeah. a great partnership. We're good friends and, and sort of have, you know, not that we both couldn't do an element of what the other does, but I think we made for a good pairing because we have different obvious strengths. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that was like, you know, the ability to work with a friend and to really, you know, cover a team as well as I thought we were covering it uh, was, you know, definitely one of the highlights of my career. Mm -hmm. uh, covering the 2019 team, um, the playoff run, it was, it was amazing. It was exhausting. Uh, lots of Marriott points. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think I, you know, wrote 
I think I wrote every day, maybe about one or once or twice during that, you know, the whole playoff run. Blake would would probably say he didn't miss one or two days. So he wrote every day. Um, And, you know, like at the time you're tired for sure, but it's, there'll definitely be some of the best memories I've ever had. Um, And, you know, some of the scenes, uh, both on the court, like being in the the arena for the Kawhi shot, being in Milwaukee for Game Five when Fred Van Vliet was knocking down all those threes, um, being in the locker room after the championship, and uh, being oh. the only one who bought a who brought like a rain jacket and uh, and a uh, sort of like a, a Ziploc bag for my recorder so it didn't break. I, I have to thank thank the Rogers. Uh, or uh, the Sportsnet Jays broadcast for that because like every time they would clinch anything in those 2015 and 2016 years, they made it look, you know, like sham like a champagne war zone, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I I was prepared and and uh nothing got damaged, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean that stuff will will certainly stand out and uh it's it's and it definitely made me appreciate like people who cover the Warriors or, or covered the Spurs and the uh uh you know throughout the 2000s and 2000 early 2010s at least like the people who were going into the second round of the playoffs every the, the beat writers I mean every year like it's it's a grind and when mm-hmm. you make the finals it's a grind and and um like you wouldn't trade it like it's more interesting to cover a team with higher ambitions in general than than one with not uh, there are exceptions there are boring good teams and there are super interesting bad teams um but uh yeah the the experience of a lifetime and uh hopefully I get to do it again one day i guess to transition you gave me uh that uh put that on a platter for me to transition to this team this year's raptors team and um, obviously Bobby Masai, like they, they, they're all about championships, but they, they've also really, I believe put in the kind of a philosophy of that six, nine lanky, uh, tall, big wingspans and, and less of a focus on shooting as kind of a philosophy and almost kind of focusing on development. Do you think that philosophy that they've really brought to the team is the right one? And do you think it is like, could lead to a championship one day? Um, I'm often asked, like, how much do I think it sort of happened accidentally? Um, like, do are they specifically trying to get Precious Achua for Kyle Lowry? Are they, you know, what's another example? Do they, like, draft Scotty Barnes because, instead of uh, Jalen Suggs because he's 6'9 and Suggs is 6'5 or 6'7 seven or six eight and sucks is six five and like i'd say it's it's part by design but partly an accident so i'm not sure like how hard and fast the philosophy is i would say for the right player they would you know change it but uh barring that it, it does make them you know, those players are among the most versatile players in the NBA. And added versatility basically means your philosophy is you can do a bunch of things and play a bunch of different ways. 
Um, I think they need to supplement it a bit better. Uh, I think Otto Porter's shooting was a key element. Not like, you know, he's he's a guy who signed for less than the mid-level. It's not like a shape-shifting, but that's why I use the word supplement, I guess, is it's, it's an admission that, okay, we can't teach everybody to shoot who can't shoot or, or who isn't like a, a a plus shooter, let's say. So let's add a bit ar- around that. I, I just wrote a story about Fred Van Vliet and his yeah. struggles. And I, like, first of all, they've said that Fred Van Vliet fits and he's like the culture setter there. So they believe that, you know, it's not only six seven, six eight, six nine guys that work uh or can work within it if you can find ways to be impactful on defense that also adds it uh adds to it but i think for uh, how great it is to say that pascal siakam and scotty barnes are your backup point guards i think that they're still playing fred van vliet 36 minutes a night even after last year and as we saw his body sort of give out on him uh and I think that's sort of a pretty significant failure in terms of the organization. And co- I, I mean, I'm talking coaching staff and front mm-hmm. office, whatever l- level you want to, um, whoever you want to uh, ascribe blame to. And I, I think in these cases, it's almost everybody has a part to play instead of only one side has a part to play, but they haven't really found a way to, to get Van Vliet's minutes down. And and that's something you have to be concerned about as you uh, watch him struggle, but also go to the playoffs, hopefully, and, uh, Mm -hmm. and also assess him in, in free agency, if that's where we're heading. Uh, So I believe, and also with Christian Coloco, a proper seven footer who, I mean, yeah, big, but big in a different way. Like, even as unpolished as he is, and, and there there are certainly times where I'm like, this guy needs a lot of time in the G League. There are other times where he's made a, a really nice impact, certainly an impact any, you'd be happy with for any second-round pick in his rookie year. Um, but there's, there's a thought that goes through my head that's like, look, this guy's impacting the game notably. What if they had somebody who was a bit more of a factor offensively? What if they had somebody who was a bit more polished in his decisions of when to help and when not to, who brought those same rim protection, rim running traits? Like, so I think they need to diver- diversify a little bit, but I also think in general, having three guys like Pascal, OG, and Scotty makes a lot of sense as you're thinking about your core. So I, I know that's like a mishmash of an answer. No, and, no. and I think in, the, in their heart of hearts, they'd probably say they need to diversify a lot because it's great to have these versatile players, but sometimes you still got to send six fouls at, at Joel Embiid for 15 or 20 minutes. Like that just helps Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi or Scotty Barnes, whoever gets that assignment or Precious Achua, um, be at their best if they don't have to spend every possession, you know, battling that guy. And in order to get Fred Van Vliet healthy to in April, you probably need somebody who can soak up 15 minutes of, even if he's not the lead ball handler in a second unit, a guy who can organize the offense and who can hit some shots and who can attack a, a closeout and make a secondary play or, you know, 
you know, end of shot clock, run a pick and roll yeah. uh, to get the offense a bit more fluid. So they're not done. And uh, that's sort of how I view where this team is right now. And, and I think that's how they view it too. I guess I, I'd want to ask you just on that about kind of lightening Fred's load and, and the, and the kind of like, do you think that's an internal thing where they should focus more on getting guys like Banton and Flynn, minutes who've been up and down but maybe ride the wave or do should they try to seek out another ball handler via trade or um i've i've been curious to see what malachi could flynn malachi malachi could flynn what malachi malachi flynn could do if he were actually given 15 minutes a game per night like uh while i was writing that story i i looked it up and last so this season and last season he has played 15 minutes or more in four straight games once mm-hmm. over over the last year and, and a third, I guess. And it's just like, I get it. I, I get that. Like, he doesn't really do what they want defensively. Like, he's not built like that. He's not going to be able to physically fight and, and dig down low as much as Fred Van Vliet can. But... He can run a pick and roll when there are six seconds left under the shot clock. He can, and we've already seen he can, when he has reliable minutes, he'll be like a decent three-point shooter, especially if he's just, you know, catch and shoot three-pointers, which as I discussed, like if Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam have the ball most of the time when Van Vliet's not on the floor, like he's going to get a lot of those catch and shoot shots or catch, take a dribble to run a, you know, to make sure the contest goes by um, relocate and, and hit the sidestep three, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and like people keep on asking for a bench mob. I'm, I'm, I'm not so interested. I, I think that was sort of like the, I'm referring to the 2017, 18 yeah. Raptors. You don't necessarily need that. Like the reality is like you have a core of four and if they're all playing, you know, 32 to 35 minutes a night, if you know, you've, if one or two of the guys is up, 36 38 it's not the end of the world but you have these guys uh and I, i'm I, I i'm more of a flynn fan in this role than banton just because he's the more reliable shooter and i think clearly the weakness of this team is half court offense and he's yeah. the guy who fixes that or, or doesn't fix it but has the best chance at, at like making incremental growth uh, or leading toward incremental growth like, let's see what he can do. How can you form a judgment unless he's doing that? Uh, so I think they kind of owe it to themselves, and not to mention Van Vliet, to see what he can do mm-hmm. in a regular bench roll over the last, um, uh, before the trade deadline, before the February trade deadline. And that's when you can judge if you need that guy or if you don't or this or if Malachi Flynn could get you to April at which point you're probably playing Fred Van Vliet 37 38 minutes a game so it's not a big deal then but it's a big deal now I guess just to to move on a little bit to to Scotty Barnes like he's had a bit of an up and down year um specifically like in his sophomore year and I know you wrote just a little bit how Brown and Tatum took steps back in their second and third years I guess just what is your assessment of Scotty Barnes's year this year season? Yeah, I, I mean, 
I think he's been fine. Um, I think is clearly a player who's trying to figure out how to balance what he's tried to improve on during the off season and what the team needs from him. Uh, he's in a, and this is why I brought up Brown and, um, and Tatum. They were in situations where they were on a good team with ambition with, well, you know, they made the Eastern Conference final in Jason Tatum's rookie season, I believe. Uh, and they had Kyrie Irving. And this was a team that thought it could be in the conference final, the NBA finals again. And yet you have second and third year players, you know, right when they're trying to grow, who are trying to become the best players they can be to get their rookie ex- extensions to cement their place in the league. Um, and it's not simple to, to, you know, to show out and to fit in. And I think that's sort of where Scotty Barnes finds himself. Uh, I, I think it was a bit disappointing to me while Pascal Siakam was out and the opportunity should have been there for him to like really grab hold of a bigger chunk of the offense uh, to not be more consistent there. Um, so I think that's where you can be disappointed, but I think he's actually looked pretty good playing next to Siakam. Uh, and I think his three pointer, uh, which was a huge worry, like just as a catch and shoot three pointer, uh, he's been, you know, fine to good, uh, like certainly signs of progress there. Um, and the last few games, he's certainly getting back to like, let's find opportunities for myself on the glass. Let's find opportunities in transition where I can get out and lead transition. Cause I think that's sort of his best quality is his vision and his vision uh, in the, in transition is just probably even on a team with as many weapons as it has, I still want the ball in his hands uh, more than anybody else probably. Um, so I think he's getting back to a lot of what helped him fit in really well in the first uh, in his rookie season. I'd like to see the Raptors push him toward being more involved in some two-man actions. Now, again, they don't do a lot of two-man actions. That's the problem. There's not a lot of pick and roll on this team. There's a lot of ISO that doesn't leave a ton of room for him to like the thing I've, I've been talking about for a year now is like, what does Scotty Barnes look like as a, screen setter and roller and and Mm -hmm. like he just doesn't do much of that because the Raptors don't do much of that but you know what I'd like to see is is a bit of when Siakam's off the floor and and right now they're sort of staggering in two-man pairings it's like OG and Scotty Barnes are on at one time while Pascal Siakam and Fred Fred Van Vliet sit and vice versa I think at some point they're probably going to get where they're staggering Siakam and Van Vliet. And I'd love to see Van Vliet and Barnes uh, as a pair together operating in that pick and roll. Not exclusively, there will be time for plenty else. Um, But uh, I'd like to see them use him as a screener with Van Vliet or vice versa, just so you have that size difference on the defenders uh, to with their defenders to allow them both to exploit matchups. Cause I think that could be a really deadly pairing. And right now 
it doesn't look like those two guys always have the most chemistry together. And I, I don't really think there's a good reason why they why they shouldn't. So I think that would be a good way to nudge Scotty Barnes' usage forward, allow him to show uh, both his vision and, uh, you know, just his physical abilities as somebody with momentum going to the basket. Um, but that's a lot of future projection. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, I his ceiling is still immensely high. His floor is uh, pretty substantial as well. Uh, but you know, the season as a whole certainly a slight disappointment just based on that that uh, time when Siakam was out. But for the rest of it, I, I think he's fitting in just fine. And I guess just to go to Siakam, who's kind of taken that step this year, and you know, basically career highs in a lot of. Um, different categories, statistical categories. What has really changed in his game um, this year and made him so effective, even though he had those kind of moments last year as well? Yeah, it's. I mean, this is pretty cliche, but at this point he's seen nearly everything there is to see uh, as, a, as a primary ball handler, and especially one who sort of works a lot from the elbow or from the post. There are only so many ways you can defend that. And now he's just seeing what's coming a beat or two quicker than he used to. And that allows his kickout passes to come when the defense is still coming to him, uh, which gives his, you know, his teammates more time to make the next decision when it's single coverage you know, he's been tremendously skilled in terms of the ways he can he can finish for a while. Like, even as he struggled, like, he, he was adding to that spin move that was so revelatory in, in the championship season and, and adding a variety of hooks and a variety of of different moves and floaters and, and you know, polishing his jump shot. Um, his jumper hasn't been quite as good as as it was before his, uh, his injury, but I expect it to get essentially back to where it was. Um, so he has the skill set and now he's just, his processing speed has, has gone up. And that was like, you know, I'm not comparing these two players, but like what made LeBron so special is he, his processing speed became the quickest in the league as he was also like the most freakish or one of the most freakish athletic specimens out there. And the combination was just unfair. Siakam will never be LeBron in terms of just sheer physicality and and athleticism, but he he has as he has a considerable skill set, and now he's able to pair it with that processing speed. And uh, I think you know when you see consistently that his assists are in the six, seven, eight range, the rebounds are in the six, like. Every night it seems like twenty five seven and eight, and it's not like he's doing it tremendously inefficiently either. Like he's he's uh, he's been wonderful, and uh, you just hope he stays healthy and um, his uh, teammates can give him a bit more help, especially from the three point line. And, and that sort of, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to ever expect a team to be fully healthy. But you know, Otto Porter, you would expect would make a big difference. Fred Vedvik getting back on track. Gary Trent, I think, more or less seems to be taking to the bench role, and 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 OG Ananobi's struggles from three point 
range shouldn't continue. Like, I think you'd still like more shooting, but there's enough shooting on this team where they should be able to help them out uh, a bit more. And maybe you're seeing a lot more, you know, flirting with double, 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 not flirting, like a lot more double doubles, you know, triple doubles, but no complaints about what, and I think he's had a really good defensive season too. Like he's, yeah, yeah. After OG Ananobi, he's probably been the most reliable defender on the team. Um, and that says a little bit about some slippage maybe from some other guys, but I also think he's taken... Um, there were times in the past few years where I thought his defense was perhaps a bit overrated, and now we're probably not talking about it enough this year. I, I guess I wanted to move to, to OG Ananobi, who's been such a great defensive player. Well, in terms of uh, kind of steals, I know you wrote a little bit about how the defensive metrics for him um, don't maybe necessarily look the same as maybe uh, what he looks like um, on the eye test. But what have you thought about OG this year? And, and, and he's clearly improved um, on both sides of the floor. And do you think he could maybe be a defensive player of the year or a candidate? Yeah, I mean, he certainly, when you think of early season candidates for that, and it's too early to really put anything in pen, but you think of guys on the Bucks, uh, like I, I had to, in the mailbag, I ranked them sort of right now, Brooke Lopez, Ananobi, Giannis, those would, those would have been my three as of a week ago. Um, you know, what he's doing in all facets of defense is amazing what he does off the ball in terms of anticipating passing lanes um is pretty great uh you know i, I think you have to respect what his teammates are doing because he does take he, he does take a fair number of gambles um and uh the raptors have gone a bit better at their schemes to where if he takes a wrong gamble they're able to recover and allow ananobi to sort of what's basically called x out and and get to the the guy where his recovering teammate left, he can get there in time before something mm -hmm. disastrous happens. But uh, we're getting a, a bit away from your question. Uh, you know, on the ball, he's obviously the guy you'd want on almost any key player um, in almost any situation. Uh, and and he's just, he's super physical. And, and Anyway, uh, I mean, I could go on and on. He's been their best defender and, and it's not particularly close offensively like he doesn't quite have the vision of Siakam and Barnes but he he's improved um so he has these he has some dump off passes every game that I'm like oh I didn't really think he'd get it through that you know tight window and he does um his balance has improved to like from bad to acceptable uh which I'm I know that sounds like damning with faint praise but he, he's, you know, every step you take makes you a more dangerous player. And and I think there's still certainly some nerves when he's driving to the basket, but the, it, it just seems more balanced and more purposeful. Uh, a word Nick Nurse has used a lot is deliberate. And that doesn't, I don't think it means slow, which we sometimes take it to mean it just means purposeful kind of. Um, and, and I certainly see a lot of that. His mid-ranger, while the team as a whole takes probably too many of them, it's improved and is always a good fail-safe weapon uh, to have. Uh, be great to see him start knocking in some of those threes um, because, again, the team really needs it. And 
um, him, Fred VanVleet and Gary Trent are the three most likely players to provide him. Uh, ideally, you'd like two of them to be in a good place at the same time. Uh, but uh, I think that'll come to, if not like a 40% level, a, a league average level, which would be, you know, good enough. Uh, he's good. He'll have a, if this keeps up, he'll have a defensive player of the year case. The Raptors win a bunch of games and get hot before, you know, the end of January. He'll have a all-star case. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's particularly likely, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's hard not to, uh, be really impressed by what he's doing. And it certainly makes us look at those, you know, I'm not happy with my role. Should they trade him? Can you have too many six, eight wings, uh, mm-hmm. discussions look, uh, pretty, I don't want to say silly, but, uh, you know, it was good that the Raptors didn't maybe give in to, into those sort of thoughts in the offseason. I, I guess just before I let you go, what what will be needed for this Raptors team to to kind of make a successful playoff run? Are you asking what they need to add or what like what, uh, what what do they kind of like no not necessarily add, but just in terms of kind of playing like what what do they need to improve on or or really become much better at to to make a successful player a player? I mean the half court offense is near last in the league in terms of efficiency in the playoffs you're lucky if you're playing 18 percent of possessions and in the in transition as good as you might be in transition and like their efficiency has slipped as the season has gone on in transition like i think that's where you can actually make a case and and fairly ask like is this process the right one because like the raptors are trying to game as uh the possession system in a way that plays to their strengths but those strengths will ever only really ever come out on like 25 percent of offensive possession which still leaves the other 75 right and you know, I think they'd respond, well, let's see what happens when our shooters get going. Let's see what happens when Otto Porter gets back. I already made my comment about health. They got to find ways to diversify and get better in the half court offensively. Like it's, it's clear uh, they can say they're generating all the good shots they want. They've certainly missed more than their share of open shots recently. So I don't think they're necessarily this bad, but it's just hard to be in a very good playoff team if you're scoring this inefficiently in the half court and good teams with good coaches will take away what you do best. Every time a coach comes in here uh, in in Toronto, they're like, we've got to stop their opportunities in transition. We got to get back in transition. It's one thing to say that in the regular season. It's another thing to be able to say that, but also prepare for it and like drill it and drill it and drill it in a playoff series over and over and over again. Um, So, you know, a lot of the work that they got in the ever decreasing number of practices that they have now in NBA season has to be toward finding that. And, you know, I, I think we can do the math on what that might mean in terms of player acquisitions, more shooting and more, you know, just capable secondary creators would be very helpful for this team. Uh and yeah, that's sort sort of how I see it. Like there, there's certainly ways to improve improve the consistency on defense. I think we've seen it in in 
games at a time, but certainly not stretches, yeah. uh, long stretches. They've been much better since Siakam came back and, you know, excluding those sort of New Orleans and yeah. uh, Brooklyn uh, uh, games. Uh, so, I, I mean, there's always room to perfect things on defense, but, you know, they're not going anywhere with this half-court offense, and, and that's, you know, my answer is one, two, and three. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Eric. Uh, I guess I just wanted to give you the floor. Is is there anything that you're you're working on or any pieces people should keep their eyes and ears open for? Uh, nothing I want to give away, I don't think. Uh, okay. Um, but uh, I appreciate everybody who follows along on Twitter, everybody who comments on the stories. I know every, every so often I'd be like, I got like, can you comment more? It's like, well, I have to keep my sanity a little bit, but I, I do like often read the comments. And even if I'm not responding, uh, I, I'm talking more on, on the stories themselves <laughs> rather than on Twitter. I, I don't always read my Twitter mentions. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I, and I appreciate everybody who subscribes to the athletic. Uh, and, you know, we, we didn't talk about getting laid off at the post, but um you know, I thought there was a good chance my career was over then. And, uh, you know, I, I got an awesome opportunity opportunity at The Athletic. But at the time, The Athletic was fledgling and, and just starting, just getting off the ground. And, you know, I'm under no illusions that I and the people who follow me made it made it a profitable or, or made it a, uh, you know, a successful uh, go-to destination for a lot of sports fans. But to the extent that, any of that contributed to things and the extent that some of the people who read me at the post or followed me on Twitter ended up going to the athletic and subscribing. Like I probably don't find, I mean, you're not really given a platform often to say thank you, but I, I really am indebted to the people who did that. And, and even if you can't afford a uh, subscription to the athletic or, or don't choose to, for whatever reason, uh, I appreciate those who interact with me and, and just, follow me and and all that good stuff it's uh it's very much appreciated on my end well thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it and i uh, hope you have a great rest of uh the nba season uh following the raptors thanks alex good to talk to you